Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. Today, Graham McMillan and I are the comics podcasting equivalent of Michael Myers from Halloween. Just when you think we're dead, we get up and start talking again. In this installment, we talk about Chris Claremont, Mark Miller, Tyrese Gibson's Mayhem, Captain America Reborn Number 2, Aquaman, and of course, the trending topic on every fanboy's lips, Julie and Julia. The whole thing runs close to an hour and hits a little meta patch around the 30-minute point, so forewarned is forearmed. We hope you enjoy the installment and that you take a second to post in the comments and tell Graham that he's dreamy. Thanks for listening and enjoy. So, uh, we're back. We are, and we're we're choking one last time. <laughs> for, the, for this go-round. Indeed, the final choke-off, uh, which sounds horrible. Uh, yeah, really, that... That sounds like something that we should not be podcasting <laughs> in front of an impressionable audience. Let's face it. Um, so he, here is the question that I wanted to ask you, which I thought was wonderful that someone asked us. You guys seen any movies lately? Wasn't that great? <laughs> I, I love that someone asked us that because I'm sure you have. Uh, you know, and this is what's problematic is I've actually been going through a dry patch. When I <gasps> saw that, I was so excited. I'm like... <gasps> Excuse me. That's how excited I was. I started choking. I was like, oh boy, we get to talk about movies. And I'm like, I haven't seen anything. Um, I, will... I saw Julia and Julia. <laughs> yes. Tell me about Julia and Julia. Wait, no. Do you tell me about yours first and then I will, I will tell you my um, chick lit movie. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Michael, there was a whole bunch of stuff that I've been meaning to watch. And I kept thinking that I had, in fact, watched something super interesting that I could recommend or, or even just talk about. Um, I will say, however, that, that what I have been watching that is freely worth trying to get a hold of uh, on DVD is Cracker, um, the series, uh, English series starring Robbie Coltrane that, that ran in the 90s. Which um, I, I remember very fondly. Oh, good. As well you should. I, I was really shocked at how incredibly strong it was up until the episode I saw last night. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say there was a point where, like, all of a sudden, they did made too many. Yeah, and and it was kind of at the stage. Honestly, the the two episodes prior to it. Well, let me let me back up. So, Cracker is uh, Robbie Coltrane plays a, a very dysfunctional um, psychologist who ends up contracting with the police to help solve crimes. He's brilliant. Uh, but he also drinks too much, smokes too much, uh, gambles too much. As he puts it, he is too much. Um, he's currently in the process of having tr- a spat with uh, his wife of many years, wants to leave him. He's flirting heavily with the uh, attractive policewoman who's assigned to assist him. Um, and it also kind of runs a kind of Columbo-esque. You get this, you get as much attention is paid on the people the criminals that he's chasing and you sort of get to see not just them commit the crimes and how they go wrong or right, but also what shapes the abnormal psychology of the, of the characters so that when uh, Fitz, Robbie Coltrane, the cracker, um, I guess short for nutcracker, uh, uh, actually no, has cracking cases. Is it that it, he's cracking cases? Is that what it is? I I assumed it was that, and also that you know, skullcracker type thing. See, I thought right. I thought as a psychologist, he was literally a nutcracker, you know. Mm-hmm. But possible. Uh, I don't know. Eh, who knows how those wacky people in Manchester think? So, um, the the thing that's really enjoyable about the series as it starts out is the police uh, people that that. Um, Fitz works with are really brilliant actors and the writing's incredibly strong as well. So all of their little subplots as they come to pay off, particularly, oh God, the the stupid, bad, inept cop who's not quite as stupid and as bad as you would think, but really is pretty stupid and bad. Uh, Jimmy Beck's played by... Lorkin... Um, I'm never... I, and his name's Celtic, so I would screw it up anyway. Anyway... Brilliant acting, top to bottom. The the writing is extraordinarily good. It, it's been the first series since The Wire that I really watched where I was like, oh my god, more people have to watch this. It's really brilliant and is a great mix of social commentary and character stories. 
um, at least up until the point where they have the shark jumping episode where he goes to Hong Kong to hang out and solve a crime that's, you know, is committed See, by one of the members of the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, by it, that point, I had long stopped watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to my mind, I, I want to say it was the start of the second season, the episode where uh, Robert Carlyle is in it. And, oh, yeah. And I want to say, is that the one where, can I just say a spoiler right now, because it's not a spoiler for you, because you've obviously seen it? Yes, and this it is. By Christopher Eccleston? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is the same story, right? Yeah. That is, is by far the greatest ever got. I, I, that was a, an incredibly strong, shocking uh, piece of television that, that still, to this day, sticks with me. Absolutely. I, I, and was incredibly well done. Yeah. I, and I think pretty much after that, it can just stop. Well, and but you didn't stop? You continued to watch? I kept going for a while. I kept going for another couple of seasons, I think. Yeah, and there's really not too much more. There's actually one season after it, which has the the rape stuff and the the amazing uh, Jimmy Beck, sort of the end of... Yeah, know. but I, I seem to remember like, that was really the point where it was becoming far too much for me. And then... I might be misremembering. I seem to remember it actually stopped in Britain for a few years and then it came back. Mm-hmm. But that point, I entirely came up. Yeah, no, uh, they they did a they did a very sort of dumb choice in that they they wrapped up. How did they wrap it up? They they wrapped up the uh, the the Jimmy Beck stuff at the beginning of the season three, and then they really didn't have anywhere else to go, kind of, and so they've got one story with. Um, Basically, uh, the the criminal is the Irish Gary Sinise, and he is so he's great. But the story is not much. And honestly, by the time that you get to the conclusion of the Jimmy Beck storyline, everything has has gone from has collapsed from absolutely amazing, great social commentary with clever writing and and emotionally involving characters to kind of strident soap opera. Uh, and, and it's a shame, but, but for me, there's enough good moments by the time you get to the end of season three, usually it's just a performance by some character or actor that I, I wasn't familiar with like best boys, which is about, um, about a a factory foreman who ends up befriending a Yale, a young male employee who's a, who's a runaway, um, Liam Cunningham, who plays, who plays, uh, the, the factory foreman, like I said, dead ringer for Gary Sinise, but brilliant acting. Oh my God! There's one episode. Again, it's just become a horrible soap opera mishmash. But by the end of that, you know, the last twenty minutes, where really all he does is cry, he breaks my heart like thirty thousand times. So, it ends up in a very different place from where it starts. And then, of course, you know, there's season four where he, you know the character comes back and literally is in Hong Kong solving a crime and everything about it. You half expect him to see it. You know, it, it's literally like when they go to Hawaii and Fonzie jumps the shark, you know, on, on water yeah. skis, you really expect, I, I couldn't, we couldn't even finish watching the episode. It was really just that lousy. Um, but for people who really like, I, I think really brilliantly crafted um, entertainment. I think the, the first two seasons of Cracker, certainly. And I would go, I would honestly go all the way into to the first part of season three. Um, it is well worth renting, and I enjoyed it more than than some of the movies that I saw recently. So I, I would say that would be my recommendation for, if I've seen a movie recently, that's what I should say. That's what I'd go see. I love that we go from that to me going to see Julie and Julia. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, deep heavy, some of the greatest television ever made. And I'm like, I went see an Amy Adams movie last night. Directed by Nora Ephron, don't forget that. <laughs> also adapted by Nora Ephron. Oh, that's true. Um, the reason I went to see it, I should point out, uh, besides that the kid really wanted to see it, was I love the book. I really, really, really genuinely think that the Julia and Julia book is incredibly well done. Not only because I'm interested in uh, Julie Powell deciding that she is going to spend a year baking, making her way through um, the mushroom of French cooking. But also because it's one of the few things I've ever, ever read where someone gets what it's like to blog right. Oh, yeah? 
yeah, it's it's a really strange um, thing, but a large part of why I love the book is she completely manages to explain what it's like blogging. Mm. Um, and so that's what I do for a living. And I'm like, oh, you know, she, she got it right. Um, the film is a lot of fun. Uh, Meryl Streep does a very good Julia Child. Although Jane Lynch makes an appearance as Julia Child's sister. Mm-hmm. And that is the comedic highlight of the film. Yeah. Jane Lynch, who I, I love, really manages to act Meryl Streep off the, off the screen. Now, is Jane Lynch the, the absolutely amazing woman from like 40-year-old virgin and the one who played the, the, the pep coach in Glee? Um, yeah, that's yes, her. that's her. Yes, that's her. I love her. She is brilliant. Um, she appears as uh, Julie Child's taller sister. <laughs> um, and, and it's just great. Uh, what I didn't like about the film was it, they've turned it into a comedy. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, the whole thing is, is very light anyway, but they've made it into a fluffy comedy. Mm-hmm. And there's really, in the book, there's some visible downsides to what Julie Powell has decided to do and it, the way it impacts her relationship and the way it impacts her concept of herself. Mm-hmm. And that's literally dealt with by someone telling Amy Adams, you're a bitch. And she's like, yes, I am. And you're like, no, you're Amy Adams. You know, you're complete, you're completely adorable in this film. There's no point where you're a bitch or you're unpleasant or anything. Huh. You know, and, and they really, really soften up. Um, it becomes a much fluffier thing than it could have been. It could have been a, a very different uh, story if they'd stayed more true to the book. Well, yeah, I, I, I have no doubt, having not seen it. I think it's fascinating to me that Nora Ephron, it doesn't surprise me that she, of course, would go that way because Nora Ephron had some notoriety for writing funny, bittersweet books and then, in fact, you know, did the adaptation for Silkwood but but it wasn't, she didn't really hit the, the tall dollars until she turned it started turning her stuff into fluff until she started yes, watering exactly. down the bitter she, Yes, that just turned, gave you the sweet, yeah yeah, and that, that's, that's exactly what she does here mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of a shame because everyone involved does a really good job mm-hmm. everyone in the movie does a really good job, and if the script had just a little bit more bite to it, it would be a much better movie. Right, right. Oh, hey, let me ask you, because this actually might have been a movie that I did see recently, although it came out a bajillion years ago. Did you see Enchanted? I did. Talking about Amy Adams again. Exactly. That's that's why I bring it up. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was fun for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I kind of wish there had been more of the bitterness because th- there is actually a nice level of snark in it. Oh but, yeah, uh, I think if there had been more of it, I probably would have liked it more. It did make me adore James Marston, who is continually just shit upon in movies. Is is he the guy with the who he's, literally he's looks like the cartoon the, character? He, yes, he's the prince. Oh, oh yeah, no, 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 sorry, yeah, no, he's great. He's actually pretty good in that. He never gets a break, although it's no, he never he never does. He's Cyclops. He gets killed off screen in X Men Three, yeah, and then he's um, Lois Lane's husband in Superman Returns. Right. He he has this like wonderful nerd cred for playing characters who get shit upon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and then he then he gets shit upon by having to play uh, Catherine Hegel's romantic other in twenty eight twenty eight dresses twenty seven dresses. I, I see. You have actually beaten me there for for chick movies. Um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen that. Probably because Catherine Hegel kind of freaks me out a bit. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I uh, we ended up seeing Twenty Seven Dresses uh, in a movie theater in Buenos Aires, uh, where you would think that the the poor uh, porteños were watching the greatest movie of all time. They hey, I, I went to see uh, Godzilla in uh, Germany. Whenever Godzilla came out, it must be what ninety eight, ninety seven, um, and it was in German, and there were no subtitles or anything, and it it wasn't until I saw it on television many years later that I realized it was such a terrible piece of shit because from the reaction of the audience, I honestly thought that it was the funniest film <laughs> I'd ever been made. Maybe the German translation is much, much funnier, but they love it. (laughs) If it was completely acerbic, run, run like an American. And then you see Matthew Broderick doing that little run of his like that. That would make sense. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because, yeah. Oh, my God. That Godzilla movie. Boy, that was. See, there's some lovely like, have you seen any movies recently? Let's talk about (laughs) Godzilla. 
now celebrating its <laughs> it was, ninth it anniversary. Was, it was in Germany. It was um, I can't remember where where I was in Germany. God damn. Um, I was in Leipzig, maybe not. I can't remember. I was in some terrible, terrible, terrible place in Germany, um, visiting a then girlfriend, and we went to see Godzilla in German because we were so bored. Oh yeah. Well, and congratulations because <laughs> apparently you thought it was awesome. So. Uh... Well, exactly. We we had a lot of fun that night. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> see, this this is this this just shows you the only way that we you know Jeff Johns will be even better once he can actually put his stuff in German. And uh, we can just sort of watch it and go, wow, that was unbelievably subtle and amazing what he did there. Hey, did we not both decide that we actually thought Jeff Jones deserved more credit than he got? Was that not the interest Oliver Jeff Jones isn't? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. He definitely deserves But that doesn't mean I'm not going to take some cheap shots if I can get a good laugh out of it. So, uh, Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, one more question. Um, Come right. on. I've got to ask you a question. question. Did you see Captain America Reborn number two? No, I didn't. Did you read uh, Tyrese Gibson's I've... Mayhem? <laughs> no, but I would love to hear your comments on it. I'm so glad that you said that. Let me tell you about him real quickly. No, that's actually, that's such bullshit. I won't do that to you. Uh, let me no, see. no, really. I do want to know about Therese. I really do want to know about Therese's book. Is it oh, terrible? It It is, let's see. I, I actually, uh, where's my notes? After uh, after the, the uh, woman came up to me at San Diego Comic-Con and offered me a copy then saw that I was pressed, and then said that I could only even touch it if I paid ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I I do kind of want to know that this book is terrible. I was about to say, Graham, I have bad news for you. That she might have been saying that, but when someone says you can't touch something unless you give them ten dollars and it's a woman, they're not talking about a comic book. I know that. <laughs> Trust me, she was. <laughs> Um, okay, so there's this great moment in Tyrese Gibson's Mayhem where uh, the character... I love, by the way, that you call it Tyrese Gibson's Mayhem, not well, just Mayhem. Yeah, you it's can... Tyrese Gibson's Mayhem. It is Tyrese Gibson's Mayhem. The Gibson's Mayhem that belongs to Tyrese Gibson. Actually, the hardest... The, the, the problem that I had with Tyrese Gibson's Mayhem is I wasn't entirely sure if the character, the character running around shooting everybody is, in fact, called Mayhem. Like, I wanted to say, so when Mayhem pulls out two knives and sticks them with somebody, um, I don't know if he's called, his character's called Dante uh, by the people who know him, but no one ever goes, oh, hey, look out for Mayhem. So His name is Dante Mayhem. Maybe it is. Does it, does it say it's Dante I'm Mayhem? Actually, I'm actually going to look up Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a great shot where um, the, there's there's a panel where... Mayhem, let's call him Mayhem, as opposed to Tyrese Gibson's Mayhem, which is the name of the book, where Mayhem says, my knives are silent. And then in another panel, he he throws them and he says, they don't see them coming. And what's great is the knives actually then hit the gangsters who he's throwing them at, but they're looking at them. So he they actually do see the knives no, coming. No, they don't see them coming. They just happen to be looking in that direction, Jeff. Uh, well, and then there's a great panel where he's holding two guns after he shoots somebody point blank in the face. And he says, they never see me coming. But the point of the previous two pages is they did see him coming. That's why they attack him. So... No, again, they just happen to be running in his direction. <laughs> Right, while saying stop you. So there's yeah, an. Uh, uh, by the way, an interview at Comic Book Resources lets me know that the character is in fact called Mayhem. Oh, he is called Mayhem? Yes. Okay. See, this is the kind of book where everyone calls him Dante. I don't think anyone called him Mayhem. On the other hand, it's the kind of book that you only read in about six seconds, so maybe they do. There's a. But, to be fair, they wrote the book in ten seconds. Like, there's a great shot where, where Mayhem shoots. Like, shoots a bunch of gangsters, and then he turns the corner, and there's more gangsters, and he pulls his guns up, and they click empty, and the guy goes, you know, hey, nice try, but your gun only holds seven bullets. And and then uh, Ty- Mayhem says something, like, very clever and blows up the boat that they're on. What's great is if you flip the page, sure enough, you see that someone has very carefully put seven little bam, 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 bams on the page when he's, like... Blowing people into like you know not even Swiss cheese but rather Swiss mist I guess um, <laughs> and but what's hilarious is I I read that and I'm like but he's got two guns like you know they're like that gun only holds seven bullets I'm like he's got another gun and you do they only hold three and a half bullets each? exactly like each, each gun 
only holds three and a half bullets. Exactly. So I guess what I'm saying is, is Therese Gibson's mayhem is kind of entertaining and how awful it is. And it's kind of like watching two kids like play with their action figures um, in front of a toy box and be like, take that. No, you take that. Except, um, you know, you're, you're paying two ninety nine for it. And the only reason anyone cares is the one of the kids with the action figures happens to be a celebrity. So it's, it's really kind of terrible, but I found it really, um, I almost found it entertainingly awful. Not, not in any sort of don't go buy this. Like it's not at, it's not at the entertainingly awful level of tarot, for example, but it is at the entertainingly awful level of um, like a Rob Liefeld comic almost. So what you're saying is that's just like Captain America Reborn number two, right? Yes, because Captain America Reborn number two has uh, a cover. Uh, and I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to reference those great comic covers of the 40s where like, you know, Captain America is like socking Hitler and Bucky's got a machine gun and he's shooting Nazis like this cover, which is a wraparound. It it literally has Bucky sh- with machine guns in each hand and he's shooting Nazis. Um, but the thing that's really distressing is Captain America is choking Hitler from behind. Like he's got him in one of those like headlock things. It's like it, you know where he's like grabbing him, so like the you know the crook of his arm is around Hitler's throat, and Hitler, for his point, is basically like you know reaching up and grabbing at the glove of Cap's hand, um, and it's really unheroic. Like I'm kind of shocked that they did this cover for Captain America Reborn, where Captain America comes out like like he's the the you know roided out bouncer of World War Two. You know, like it's completely like in 40 years when the character gets reborn again, again, he's going to be like Indian leg wrestling Hitler or it's going to be like a sissy slap fight between him and Hitler. I mean, it's it's I thought it was remarkable how unheroic the cover to Captain America Reborn number two is. And the comic itself. Oh, Graham. No, actually, it's uh, <laughs> the the cover. The captain. The comic itself is actually okay. I mean, apart from there's some Brian Hitch stuff that drives me nuts. I think there's something a little. You get to see more of Steve Rogers as he's unstuck in time, in which he kind of, you know, at, at one or two points he tries to stretch what he can do. Like he actually can. Can he change time? Like there's a little bit of attention being paid to that, but mainly it's like. This is terrible. I have to live this over and over again. Is he, you know, it doesn't really seem that terrible. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but Captain America, like fighting in World War II, like it just doesn't, it doesn't really, like, it doesn't seem that terrible to me. And then meanwhile, in an insensitive bastard, really, you're saying someone going through World War II, which, let's face it, is just going to be surrounded by killing people and lots of people being killed all the time and death and destruction is not that terrible. Is that really your argument? <laughs> Did you forget what happened to World War Two? Were, were you getting World War Two mixed up with like a vacation? I, I, well, okay, hold on a second. Which one is it where you like go to the beach and your boss is dead, but you have to pretend that he's alive and put him in evocative poses? Is that is that World War Two or is that Weekend at Bernie's? That's weekend at Bernie's. Okay, you know you're right. I'm completely <laughs> confused. I can't believe it. That's really Seriously. embarrassing. Going through World War Two over and over again would be horrific. Even if you're Captain America, even if you get to wrestle Hitler from behind, it would not be fun. The idea that you're saying doesn't seem that bad to me. <laughs> Jeff Lester, I'm appalled. Well, okay, all right. Here's the thing that it would help to understand about me, apart from the fact that I'm a sociopath, is I am a coward. You know what I mean? Like, but like Jeff, that's why it would be even worse. No, imagine no. you're yes. just suffering through everyone dying around you forever. But I'm still alive. Don't you see? That's the thing about me being a coward that I can appreciate. Like Captain America is kind of like, he's like, oh, no, this is so terrible. I could have saved that soldier, but he died again. You know, like, I'll be honest. I would have that thought every once in a while. But if I was living World War II over and over again, part of me would be like, wonder when I get to bang the Scarlet Witch. You know what I mean? Like, you're kind of like, I seem to remember banging the Scarlet Witch at some point. I bet I can probably bang her again. You know what I mean? This is why you will never write Captain America. (laughs) 
I'm so glad you went with that as opposed to the reason why I'm a terrible person because that's also an acceptable answer. Um, uh, let me you, see. You've just actually reminded me of something entirely, um, again, of an entirely different tangent. Okay. Um, have you been keeping up with the Chicago Comic Con news this week? Sort of. Have you seen any interviews with Mark Miller about uh, Ultimate Avengers? Mm-mm. So, Ultimatum has just finished, and Ultimatum, uh, I'm sure you're well aware, has killed off the Wasp and the Hulk and Thor and lots of these characters. And you'd think that there was a reason for that. The reason they have explained this weekend is that they're just bringing in new characters with the same name. (laughs) I'm not even vaguely joking. And, like, Mark Miller is pretty much saying, let's face it, none of us really cared when the Wasp died. That seems, A, completely honest, and B, completely horrific that he's just (laughs) saying, you know, we killed all those characters off. It doesn't matter. We've got the same new characters with the same name. They're the same. Yeah. It's it's at once both showing me the sausage factory and also (laughs) telling me how much fun it would be to be plunged into the sausage-making machine. It's it's horrible. I'm really kind of stunned at the complete lack of um, humanity on (laughs) shit. I love the fact that I'm like, gee, I think I can figure out why you thought of that based on what we were just talking about. It's like, speaking of appalling lacks of humanity, let's talk about Miller talking about Ultimate Uh, Avengers. Basically, it was actually Brian Hitch that reminded me. Oh, yeah? But but then... um, even if that had not reminded me of what you said following mentioning Brian Hitch's name. Would have <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm just kind of stunned that it's so blatantly cynical. Mm-hmm. You know, we killed off these characters. It doesn't matter. Now we've got a Russian Thor. And it's like, really? Really? You've, you know, you expect anyone to care about your characters after you just said that? Yeah. And, and the horrible thing is, they will. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's going to be like, the Russian Thor's the most awesome thing ever. I'm really glad they killed off Wasp by having her being eaten by the blob. Now we've got a horror war. <laughs> and it's really... You know people are going to respond like that. You know that someone is going to be right now in Miller World telling him that he's a genius for doing this. Yeah, and but... it's just really sad. It really it saddens me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I... Because you love the Wasp. Um, sure. Okay, if that... <laughs> If that's what we're going with, then fine. I, I mean, I, here's my thing. There's there's a few characters I, I don't necessarily know about all of them, but I mean, it's like the stuff I heard about was like when Doctor Doom got killed or Cyclops got killed. That sort of struck me as some missteps. I mean, you know. I, have you read Ultimatum? No, no. The entire series is a misstep. Well, of course. There, I mean, the, no, but there are there are stunning things that quite clearly only happens because they were wanting to get to the end point and no one truly really paying attention. For example, Dr. Doom apparently can be killed by being hit by the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he can. Also, um, someone can open up Cyclops' visor, but he can't close his eyes. Instead, he's got to kill everyone in front of him. Well, because, hello, you weren't paying attention. Ultimate Cyclops has no eyelids. I think that was well-established <laughs> in continuity. I seem to recall that from the original Ultimate X-Men run. That was part of his curse. I mean, why do you think he seemed, you know, so like... Well, actually, he probably wasn't that anguished, as I recall, in Ultimate X-Men. But, you know... It, Ultimate X-Men was... Um, no one was anguished. They were all... Um, 90210 would. Yes, but because at least when Miller was writing them, like, sociopathically. Uh, yeah, so. but Mark Miller writes everyone as a sociopath. He he does, but... He actually is unable to write someone as, as a non-sociopath. <laughs> it's, name one Mark Miller character who's not a sociopath. Uh, created by Mark Miller, or that Mark Miller... Or, or... You know what? It doesn't matter. Name anyone that Mark Miller... <laughs> Uh, Alright, let me, hold on Give me a second here We we should start a little egg timer going Um, Let me think Uh, This would be a great point Where when you're editing this You add in the Jeopardy clock I was was thinking of that Sadly I'm so lazy When it comes to editing Um, Okay Superman from Superman Adventures That doesn't count, does it? No uh, Anyone post authority that Mark Miller Oh, you bastard. 
Okay. Uh... Do you want me to, to prove my point? Mark Miller wrote an, the Silver Age event issue of Justice League of America mm-hmm. in, like, 99, I'm guessing. Right. Um, if you, I don't know if you remember that, but that was when Mark Wade what, uh, did a, a fifth-week series of books where they were, it was as if it was lost issues from DC Silver Age. Oh, I didn't see uh, Kurt Busiek did a really good Green Lantern with Paul Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a Dial H for Heroes special. Mm-hmm. I mean, lots of really good stuff. Mark Miller, who, as he will always tell you, is the biggest DC fan in the world, does an issue of Justice League of America, which centers around a Green Lantern from space called Horse Bandit. And I wish to God I was making that up. I'm sorry, called what? The Horse Bandit? Is that what you Arse said? Bandit. The Arse Bandit? Yes. And I swear to God, I really wish I was making that up. I'm really not. Um, and during which the, the villains, uh, like, just are are assholes. Like, amazing assholes. Well, is that the point? Does he then steal them? Uh, no, no. Oh, I see. No, no, he's he's a good Green Lantern who um, I think he gets killed. I think he gets killed by Aquaman or something at some point. A- Aquaman kills somebody. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's it was just like the most amazingly. Um, it was like someone who was doing a parody of a Silver Age issue, as opposed to trying to be faithful to the spirit. Of course, of course. because that that's what Mark Miller does. Yeah, yeah. He writes everything as a sociopath. No, it's true. He does. Um... Well, weren't you the one telling me that his Fantastic Four, he keeps trying to write them as non-sociopaths and keeps failing? Or is it yes, he... yes, yes, yes. Okay. No, he, he, he's really trying and, and just can't do it. Okay. All right. Well, that's, I guess I technically lose then because you were the closest person to providing an answer. Although it was a trick question. So really, Graham, which one of us is the sociopath, me or you? Me, who thought that it wouldn't be bad to relive <laughs> World War II over and over again? Or you, who asks a friend a trick question he can't answer? I think history will it's bear me out. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's honestly one of those days where we've recorded so many of these that they all just end up with us making nervous laughter. <laughs> oh, so um, actually I thought of something that, that, that um, I did want to say. Uh, I do have a B, B character pitch that I would actually share. Uh, Go. Maybe, okay. Aquaman. I had okay. an idea for Aquaman, and it it's kind of not a perfect uh, pitch for the character because in some ways parts of it have been done, but I think I would take it the next step further where Aquaman returns and um, the the essentially the way that he sort of returns is like there's an incredible like millions of fish wash up onto the shore. And as people are in the process of, like, pushing aside all these, like, all this shining dead mackerels, you know, they pull Aquaman out from in the middle of all these dead fish. And he is back and he has a sword with him. And essentially Aquaman is King Arthur returned to save the world. That, that Aquaman is not just the king, but he's literally the king. And that's kind of always been sort of the secret backstory to the character. Because there's been references to the lady in the lake helping him out and giving him his water hand and things like that. And, you know, various things where he does the, like, oh, I am, um, you know, I'm the ruler of Atlantis. But what it is is Aquaman has returned because sort of in the same way that King Arthur's supposed to return in times of trouble to save England, Aquaman is really essentially the King Arthur of the entire world, and he's back with Excalibur to um, save humanity from its ultimate, uh, essentially the coming of the Dark Days. Now, what that would be, I don't know. I have a sense that that you'd sort of do almost like a Camelot 3000 thing, except... Black Manta would be hooked up with like Morgana Le Fay from space, or maybe you'd take the the Fairy Queen from Seven Soldiers or something like that. But but it would essentially turn into a a big mega epic kind of thing. You know, you'd have some sort of like weird Arthurian parallels whenever you could fit him in. But basically, you'd have King Arthur being able to control um, 
not just the characters in the ocean, but as time goes on, be able to control all the beasts of the land because he's a, he's basically the king of the world. See, that sounds awesome. <laughs> stop, <laughs> stop coming up with all these ideas. That I would read. Would you read that? Do you think that's okay? I, I would. I think that's okay. And because I run DC Comics, go and do it, Jeff. Yay! <laughs> Anyway, that was this, that's my this, big character. When you when you say things like that, this is when people should use the comments to be like, "I would read that," or "That doesn't work because." Yes, yes, yes. If people, but you know what? I assume that they don't because they kind of are sort of like, "Eh, it's okay." <laughs> you know what I mean? They're kind of like, I, I don't, I don't want to be rude. I don't yeah. want to tell them it's not going to work. Exactly. Or really, they're just kind of like, mm-hmm. "Oh, Graham, you're so dreamy." Which, which is true, you are, so, you know. Thanks, although I, I don't think anyone ever listens to this podcast and thinks that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, go, go weigh in, in on the comments now. <laughs> it's just like when I told everyone to, say, to thank you, and they did, which I, I still, to this day, think was wonderful. Yes, I thought it was great. There's only two people, but still, I thought it was great. Listeners, let's reciprocate. Mention in the comments that you think Graham is dreamy. I think that would be only fair. And, and then, listeners, I will post a photograph uh, to prove you all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graham, no. Um, so that that kind of wraps it up for me, I think. Is yes, there anything? I, I, I think we're good, Jeff Lester. I think um, we have provided probably something close to two hours worth of um, podcastability for our, our friends in listener land. I agree. And uh, as always, it was tremendously enjoyable for me. So thank you. Yes, we, we should do it again in a couple of weeks. And then people will stop complaining that we never produce content for the blog. <laughs> Dude, they're going to say that because they because you've got what you have to do is you have to write more reviews and then I have to write reviews. Because these you see, podcasts kind of I, don't I, count. I did, I did two reviews in two days. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I was like, hey, everyone. Why don't you say what you want to talk about? And people are like, you should write more. And I was kind of like, did you miss what I just done? <laughs> but, that, but that totally happens. We had that thing when somebody snarked and was like, kind of like, oh, yeah, I can see that, you know, something like, oh, the Savage Critics, why don't you guys post? And, and, you know, it was in the middle of San Diego. But we'd had something like during the month of June, the website itself had something like 21 posts in like 28 days, which doesn't really sound like much compared to like say Laura Hudson at Comics Alliance but there they were there were some pretty good posts in there you know so i think we should totally get Laura to join Savage Critics apart oh from the fact that Laura has no free time known to man um, <laughs> well that seems does, to Laura, be the Laura prerequisite is, for how we get everyone else so La- yeah. Laura is um is a workhorse she's yeah. always always working mm-hmm. but um Laura we should yes Laura if you're listening to this, I've just invited you to join Sorry <laughs> Critics, apparently. Exactly. The only prerequisites are you have to be brilliant, you have to be so busy that you can't post. So really, you're pretty much in. You know, um, I don't know. It's rough. Sometimes I think that if we had some sort of pay structure in place, people would post more. But I think there are people like, God bless him, I think Abbe, it doesn't matter. We could like offer, to, offer him a million dollars a year, and I think he's going to write exactly what he wants to write exactly when he feels like writing it and he's not really going to write until he feels like he has something to say which I think is can be frustrating if you're a reader but I think the the quality of what you get when he does post kind of makes up for it you know I I completely agree and I, I to be honest I think if we start bringing in you know if we got paid blah 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 mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, I I like that it's unpaid, and maybe that's because I have a, a paid blogging job. Yes, uh, but I, I I feel that it's a, a a purer thing, and I feel less beholden to say things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I feel like I can do a here's twenty five random thoughts about Wednesday comics right. in a way that I think if I was being paid, I was like, no, I should turn this into an essay, and then it would never get written. Right. Exactly. No, I I know I know what you mean, which is probably why I. <laughs> Even though I'm not getting paid, I myself turn these things into essays that I'm not writing. Um, is that, uh, you know, when something like the, the review for Cry for Justice number one, you know, Cry for Justice number one comes out and suddenly you've got like eight people reviewing it. What's great is that's entirely spontaneous. It's just because people really feel they have something to say. And for better or for worse, you know, Robinson can really pride himself on on touching 
some uh, important part to make people respond, even if sadly what he's touching on is people going, oh, I used to really like Jim Robinson, you know, so. <laughs> no, but it, it's, I think, this would be great if this all makes it into the podcast as well. People like get through us talking about stuff and then they'd be like, they hear us talking about the blog, which would be weirdly <laughs> meta. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I really like, I like the setup of the blog. My feeling for the blog mostly is guilt at not being able to write enough. And part of that is also, I'm just not reading enough these days. Mm-hmm. If I yeah. read more, it'd be easier for me to do faster reviews. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm sort of, I'm very much the same way. When I left Comics Experience, um, you know, I had done, you know, usually I was posting, I think maybe just once every other week or something like that. But but I was also reviewing like 20, or 20 books at a time, 15 to 20 books. And I, I couldn't do that unless I was standing in a comic shop for eight hours a day, you know? I, I, yeah, exactly. I kind of can't do that anymore. So it's kind of rough because sort of the way that we made, you know, our, our rep, uh, in the Savage Critic, really Hibbs is the only one who's kind of in the position to sort of do that. And frankly, I mean, we're just all really busy. On the other hand, I think we, what we offer is I think we have a very strong quality. I think whereas before you had trouble finding reviews of a book when they came out, I I think usually everything pretty much, you can go on the internet, and if there's a book that you want to find reviewed, you can't, whether or not it's actually a review you agree with or like, or you trust the reviewer, or there's vowels in the words, that's one thing, but but at least you can find, it's not quite the, the dark ages. I just, I do wish, I also feel guilty that I'm not reading 18 books a week and writing reviews of them. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to just poop something out either, so I'm kind of caught. I've got nothing against pooping something out. <laughs> my, my, my Wednesday Comics thing was, was me pooping something out. My Wednesday Comics things came about because, I think I said this in email to you, mm-hmm. um, I was just having a very weird day and my brain was very scattered and I wanted to write about Wednesday Comics, and so I decided I was just going to write 25 random thoughts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was actually great, and, and who knows, maybe that's the sort of thing where I should do more of where but that's the thing like the saying just saying something about Captain America like choking hit Hitler you know it's like it's not quite a full entry I feel I should like adorn a few other pieces of things on it and I don't know the other thing that's it's very frustrating for me is um I've got lots of things I want to write about and just for some reason never get started for example my Claremont reread right um I really, like, I'm finally, and this is three or four weeks after I finished, finally getting my head around what I want to say. Yeah. And yeah. I and I, th- I think I started to, on Twitter, I think I said that he was the bendest of his day. Right. Which is twofold. Um, one, because, oh my God, no one is aware of decompression until they've read Claremont's last few years on X-Men. Mm-hmm. That's really uh, funny. But really, it's a, a really weird experience to read them in Essentials, because you finally get what he was trying to do. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you read them twenty at a time, um, and the other thing is, like Bendis, Claremont has to write about something. Mm-hmm. He can't just write superhero comics, mm-hmm. and he tries at times. Like he runs out of things to say, and that's when the book is shit. But mm-hmm. when he's writing about something, he still can't be touched. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and you know, all of this is finally coalescing. But you know, I'd love to write about. Um, the unwritten, or in fact, Vertigo in general right now, I think Vertigo's in a really interesting place, mm-hmm. and I just haven't got the brain space to get it all in, in together in my head for sitting down and writing it, which is frustrating for me, because I'm kind of like, I would write more, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, believe me, I know what you mean. I've actually been um, meaning to write a review about reading comics on the iPhone for for like a month now, and... I've got a whole bunch of manga titles that I wanted to write about. I mean, hell, there's like this big, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. And, and it's kind of a shame. It's sort of like you either hit it while you can, like there's sort of a, a zone where you've got a chance at it, and if you don't start it, chances are good it'll just never get written. You know. Yeah, so. which, uh, to be fair, that part of that was uh, my um, X-Men Forever post. Mm-hmm. I, I'd meant to do it before San Diego and finally managed to get out this week, but that was an obligation because I told people that I was going to write about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's and that's maybe that's the secret. You just have to start telling more people you're going to be writing these things, Graham. Okay then. <laughs> well, I've told I've told everyone I'm going to be writing the Claremont thing, so that that will happen. Yeah, no, and I'll, I'll be. I, what I'm hoping is is then I can catch up on some essentials and, and talk about that stuff too, because because I I have my own various opinions about Claremont, although it runs. You know, it only runs for the first hundred issues of of X Men. God bless him. Um, you know, from like, you know, issue ninety four to issue one ninety four, issue two hundred or so. It's um, after two hundred that it gets really interesting. See, and that's funny because that's that's of course around the time that I I, I threw in the towel. So maybe I should. Which go is why, which is why you should read. Yeah, which is yeah. why you should read them because it's at that point where, for the first point, first time. Seemingly in his history of run title, he doesn't get to do what he wants, and he can't write. Wow! You can see him getting knocked off, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating because it takes him like fifty issues to work it out. I'm not joking. Really? If you read them all the way right through, you can see a confident writer, a confident writer, and then he hits like two hundred and one, mm-hmm. and then he just gets fucked by X Factor. And he's like, he starts dealing with it in the text. Mm-hmm. Huh. But he, you can see him get knocked off his game. You can see him lose it and not work out what he's trying to do until, I mean, really until like he kills off the X-Men hmm. in like 245. Oh, is that when that happens? Or 248 or something. I thought that was much sooner in the oh, no, he, than it was. He kills him off twice. Oh, I see. He kills him off in 225 as well. Mm, okay, that's um, why I thought it was sooner. And the, the killing off in 228 is, I think, in part because he's trying to get them away from X Factor. Because mm-hmm. he pretty much says, I'm leaving America. They're going to Australia. They're going to deal with their own thing. Right. And he's trying to take it out of the, the bigger continuity, the franchise that's growing up around him. Hmm. Um, and it doesn't work. And he, he, he has like 20 issues of he's taken them out and then he doesn't know what to do with them. <laughs> and they keep getting pulled back in for Inferno, and, and I think there's another uh, crossover. Right. Um, but you can tell he, he just doesn't know what to do, and he starts repeating himself, and he starts writing these vapid stories. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere around 248, he basically kills everyone mm-hmm. and starts to re- tell one last story that takes him like 20 issues to do. And it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. It, it's like it takes him that long to start writing a story again. Wow. That's really interesting. Uh, a little traumatizing to contemplate. Um, like I, I, I would be lying if I wasn't saying like, wow, I have some trepidation about picking yes. up those. Wait, yeah, great. So I have 50 issues of terribleness to read. Exactly. Um, there, but it's, it's, it's really interesting because he's such – and no one really says this anymore, but he's such a craftsman mm-hmm. that even when he's not writing about anything and he's quite clearly spinning his wheels, there's there's value in reading it. I, I believe it. I told, That I can absolutely believe in. Because, of course, for me, he actually comes from that generation of 70s Marvel writers where even, you know, you're at your best when you're doing something, but even if you're not although you could be doing it in a complete hackneyed sort of way, you're still sort of, you kind of can't help but introduce like 15 different characters and still try and make some sort of mega fight, even if it's the mega fight that you just did last issue. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, exactly. At least the level of, you know, what you're calling craft or, or formula is kind of a highly engaged sort of formula, I think. Yeah, he, he knows his chops in a way that someone like... Someone like a Bendis doesn't. Interesting. When Bendis doesn't know what he's writing, mm-hmm. you can really tell. And Bendis is Bendis is one of the best of his generation of writers, if not the best of his generation of writers. Mm-hmm. His his school and his skill is entirely different. He very much comes from a film background as opposed mm-hmm. to a comic background. Even though he's a big nerd and you know he'll reference Infinity Gems or whatever. Right. Um, but Bendis can't play for time. No, no, he can't. His, yeah, his playing for time is painful. Is painfully, yes. painfully obvious and boring. Yeah. And also, he can't play for time quickly. If you like, if he yeah. plays for time, he sort of commits to it, and so it goes too long. Mm. 
See, I just sort of assume that he always goes too long. Because, like, I read that one Avengers annual that sort of was just uh, the Avengers fight somebody, and I can't even remember who. Um, but at least it felt like a full story, but it took him, like, 40-plus pages to do it. And so I'm kind of like, oh, I just don't think, you know, my whole theory is is that the more characters that you add into a, for Bendis to write the harder it is for him to tell a story. Where Claremont is a team, you know, with the exception of, you know, Iron Fist or his time on Marvel Team-Up, he's almost always written team books, and it's where he excels, um, where you've got, like, eight characters, and he's pretty happy to throw in another eight or rotate out three and then bring in an additional five, you know. Um, but again, when when uh, post two hundred, you get the mutant massacre, and he basically cuts off half his cast mm-hmm. uh, and brings in new characters, and none of the new characters gel. Mm-hmm. Really, none of them. He really, really, really like Havoc and Longshot in particular. Mm-hmm. They are ciphers, mm-hmm. and uh, I really this sounds like I'm just telling you to read all these books. Pick up the most recent Essential X Men, which I think is Volume Nine. Mm-hmm. To see how he writes Longshot out. It is the most artless, I have no idea what to do with you, you'll ever see in a comic. (laughs) From out of nowhere, out of nowhere, Longshot has a dream where someone takes off the features from his face and then all of a sudden he's a ghost and he's like, I'm going to go and get my body back. And that's it. And it's in like three pages. Wow. Really? And it's never followed up on. And fascinating, like, the same thing happens with Dazzler later on. Like, it's almost as if he forgets forgets Dazzler exists. Interesting. He gives her, like, her her own special where she's like, you know, now I know what I'm doing with my life, and you never see her again in the book. (laughs) Nor do you really get an explanation of what she's doing with her life? No. Wow. And it's really weird. Like, he really comes to this point where he's like, I don't need this character anymore. I'm getting rid of him. Like, as he discovers, as he realizes again what he wants to do, mm-hmm. he focuses on the characters he wants, and he literally just throws the others away. Wow. Hmm. It's fascinating. And now I've got to write this post. God damn it. See? Now you get to go and write that post, and uh, I will probably excise most of this until later. So, um... No, no, no. no keep, keep all this in, because so, I may never write the post. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to excise it. So you're going to have to, if anyone wants to hear this besides me, you're going to have to write it. Damn it.